the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want you to forgive me as I'm trying to get my desk in order to have a conversation with you for the next two hours, if you will, uh, just kind of running behind on my own schedule. I like to generally get into the office and um, organize things about five minutes before the program starts, but a bunch of things happen. So right now at this moment, I am shuffling through my notes to make sure that we prioritize what we're going to talk about today on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistin, happy to be with you, blessed to be among the land of the living, especially blessed to be living in California, out of all places in the United States. Just so glad to be in the Sunshine State. Um, News uh, for today. A bunch of normal stuff going on all around the planet. A lot of mayhem, a lot of uh, concerns about uh, uh, rising hostilities in Hong Kong, China, uh, if you will, Iran. Uh, News matters that have been circulating for, what, 50 to 100 years, at least 50 years uh, minimum in terms of American interest. Uh, President Trump has talked about wanting to buy uh, Greenland. Think about the Trumpster, if he could pull that off. I mean, that would just be something if uh, we ended up adopting Greenland as uh, as the, uh, what, 52nd, 53rd state in our union. Perish the thought, if you will. Just perish the thought. Those of you who have blended families, you already know how difficult it is to bring in other children into uh, the mainstay of your your marriage uh, or at least your second marriage, you know how difficult that can be. It, it sounds all nice, if you will, but I don't see one possible advantage of us having uh, having another state added to the to the union, given all the problems that we're having in our own union, if you will. And so uh, that that was just a piece of uh, amusing type of data that I thought was uh, a little better than some of the other stuff going on. Continued mayhem between the political parties, the left and right, uh, liberals and conservatives, if you will. Uh, and, and that due largely to the uh, presidential race that will be coming up here pretty soon. Bored with uh, both sides of the group, as I, I've told you before, I have no absolute tolerance right now for the process. We'll dwindle it down to a couple of dwindle it down to a couple of people, and then we'll have some more substantial conversations around the um, weaknesses and strengths of both parties' uh, offerings and presentations to the American people. 
But what can we talk about today? What should be the topic and discussion that would actually be nurturing and cultivating and challenging and edifying and strengthening of uh, of your understanding if your uh, Mondays are generally prioritized with uh, turning to KFAX 1100 AM and listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline or uh, Lifeline in general throughout the course of the week? How How do we best maintain the pattern of encouragement for those who uh those of you who listen for the next couple of hours well i'll I'll just kind of start with where i've been presently meditating i i've been presently meditating on a number of things going on in the christian world as a pastor i um am always worried about the state of the church and uh interested in what's going on both within my own community, as well as what's going on in the larger community of the um, of, of Christendom, the body of Christ, the uh, church world, and what have you. And I think we could all agree that we are living in the kind of difficult times that really merit us asking some fundamental questions about, you know, um, where is the church in regards to uh, its call, its purpose, its function, its its message, its image, all of that kind of stuff. Because we, the church is a complexity now of uh, of of uh, reputation, of image, of uh, presentation, of form, of uh, diversity, of division, of conflict, of strife, of of scandal. All kinds of things can really be. Uh, adjectival of the church, if you will. And uh, there's no real simple way to define the church if we're going to be honest. I mean, we could divide it into several camps. We could talk about the true church, and then that's going to be left up to everybody's definition, everyone who, who believes they have insight and discernment and they believe that they're on the right path when maybe no one else is on the right path but them, and then they'll have a definition of of the church, and they will uh, proffer that as their view. Then we have the false church. Of course, the Bible lays that out very clearly uh, in almost all of the apostolic writing, all the New Testament writing, all of the the urgent words of Christ to make sure that uh, we understand that in the latter days, false Christ shall rise. Many false prophets shall rise and deceive, arise and deceive many. And over the trajectory over the linear trajectory of church history uh, from uh, early on after the days of the apostles, we have been riddled with uh, false doctrine, false teaching, heresies, and and, 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 uh, denominational distinctives that have emerged to take on portions of church history even up to today. So that when we think about the first century church, the church of the apostles, Uh, And we think about the church today. There is similarity, but there's also massive, massive, massive difference. Massive difference. I would say that it's probably the best one can do um, in in actually obeying the Lord. If you, you call yourself a believer and you want to demonstrate your obedience to Christ by doing what he says, and that is identifying with his body, that being part of a local church is just, that's just 
uh, a fact. There is no way that you are going to be able to justify biblically that you can be part of a spiritual body of Christ and yet not part of a literal body of Christ when the literal body of Christ in terms of the larger uh, metaphor of the church has always been a community of people gathered together in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, and by his spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Uh, you've always had a community. That's how you heard the gospel. It wasn't an angel that preached to you. It was a man that preached to you. It was a person that preached to you. You did not get saved by just reading your Bible. You did not get saved by just osmosis. It was through the preaching of the word of God concerning Jesus. When we say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, literally it's the word about Jesus Christ. The word of God about Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ that saves you. But God uses means to bring that about. So you and I are inexorably brought into union with the instrumentality of preaching by those who have been commissioned to preach Jesus Christ, for which in that process we have been brought into the body of Christ. As many of you and I as have uh, believed on Christ and have been baptized into his, his body by the spirit of the living God, First Corinthians 12, we are then united to Christ through the church. And then really the hard works begin. The hard work begins. What is that? The hard work of discerning really what is the will and the message of God. What is his message? What is his will? What is his work? And you and I are wading through all sorts of uh, complex, as I said, conflicting messages and ideas and reports. And, you know, for a while, we can uh, we can rejoice in the honeymoon of a simple message of free grace and salvation through Christ and and redemption by his blood and the power of his spirit, drawing us to him and breaking our hearts and renewing our our minds and bringing us into a revelation of his glory to where our souls submit to him as savior. We say yes to Jesus because we've been born again. And then we now set out to begin to study and learn about Christ. And that's where the challenges occur. Now, mind you, Christ did tell us that the path to him, the path, which is him and the path to the father by him would not be easy. It just would not be something that you can just have a cakewalk and, and, and you're there. No, he said in Matthew 7, as well as in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Mark as well, the way is narrow, the path is straight, and the literal grammar there is that the way is difficult. It's filled with affliction and, and trouble. It's, it's, it's problematic. You're going to have to press to actually enter into a uh, a stable and uh, st- yeah a stable and sound knowledge of who God is in Christ and thus from that point begin the process of making your calling and election sure and if you have been in the Christian faith or joined to the Christian church or been part of the Christian movement for a decade or more and you're hearing my voice this you do know that you have engaged in or been part of and subject to, if not facilitating of real difficulties in the church, real difficulties, which require what? To require us to run from the church, abandon the church, leave the church, go our own way and uh, hope that when we meet the Lord Jesus on the last day, we'll be all right. The answer is no. 
That would be tantamount to the parable of the talents given to everyone who becomes employed by the husbandman. That is the banker. That is the one who gives you your talent, gives you your commodity, gives you your gift and tells you to go out and cause that gift to increase for you to lead the church and just go abide in the corner and sit and listen to CDs and listen to tapes or even listen to yours truly and not be part of a community is to take your gift and put it in a napkin and hide it under the table. And if you know, that parable, you do know this, that when the Lord shows up and you have to answer for that particular gift not bearing fruit, uh, you're going to have some harsh words rendered to you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Take this man, this woman, this person, and give them their portion among the hypocrites and the unbelievers uh, because they did not take that gift which God gave them and use it in a way that would advance his kingdom and his glory. And so you and I are obligated to work within the framework of God's system called the church. But boy, <clears throat> it is a difficult task, is it not? Uh, recently, I have, uh, I've been working through a doctrine called eternal security, Eternal security, because I see that what we're dealing with in our present generation um, is a, a, a lack of understanding of what the gospel is and what the gospel does so that men and women are confused as to who God is and who Christ is and what he did and why he did it and what a believer really is who has actually experienced the pardon of sins and the grace of God and the renewing work of the spirit of God and, and the spirit of adoption by which they cry, Abba, Father. Professing Christian by and large today are woefully ignorant of what it really means to be a believer in Christ. And so eternal security becomes a strange concept to them of which they often respond in a repugnant way, largely because the concept of eternal security has not been properly taught or demonstrated in the lives of those who have either embraced that teaching that the term used to be once saved, always saved. I'm going to be dealing with that over the course of these two hours uh, whenever a person who has had to wrestle with the notion that uh, if, in fact, I'm truly a believer, uh, I could never lose my salvation and yet deal with men and women everywhere who who uh, come in and go out and appear to believe and make a decision for Jesus or accept Jesus into their heart or pray the sinner's prayer or get baptized or for about a year or two are running zealously for God and, and then they, they wane and they fall away and, and many of them will abandon the faith altogether, taking on an agnostic or an atheistic position, which is what's happening in our day. Uh, in massive numbers, and and it becomes troubling for people as to whether or not salvation does have, as one of its essential promises, eternal security. Well, what is it that brings about this troubling notion in the soul of a person who struggles with, does God really save? Does he save totally? And finally, does his salvation actually mean that a man, when once he is truly saved, can never, ever lose his or her salvation? Of course, yours truly would say absolutely yes. 
So we're going to spend some time talking about it. And if you want to talk about it with me, you can join me. The number is one 367 5329 it's on the grounds of a couple of major names in uh, Christendom uh, rising up and, and publicly abandoning their faith and, and raising doubts in the minds of some who thought for sure these were genuine believers because it appeared like God used them so mightily in the matter of ministry or in the matter of music. And yet these persons have not only publicly abandoned the faith, but they have publicly denounced it in ways that uh, require our response so that people can be clear on what the Bible says about those who fall away. The number to reach me is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We're going to take a break on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host Jesse Gistan. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time happens to be five twenty six on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. I um, I'm looking at uh, one of our uh, books in the Bible, the second to the last book of the Bible, called the Book of Jude, and and Jude becomes one of those classic texts that's given to us to actually address the issue of the security of the believer and the falling away of the pseudo believer, the security of the believer, and the falling away of the pseudo-believer, the false believer, the hypocritical believer, the professing believer, but not possessing believer. This is the premise upon which we can begin to work through how it is that on the one hand, we would assert that God saves and that God's salvation is a permanent, everlasting, eternal, immutable salvation that when once obtained by the person who has it can never, ever be lost. And yet there are multiple passages in our Bibles that would warn us significantly of falling away, of abandoning the faith, or, or perishing under the wrath of God, or returning to the vomit, or returning to the pigstein, as Peter uses in his illustrative warning uh, against and polemic against false prophets, false teachers, and false Christians. Here's what Jude says by way of one of the basic verses that we establish as the grounds by which when one is truly saved, he is also kept. Jude in Jude, uh, Jude chapter one, verse one, we read Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God, the father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. If we were to start right there and develop exegetically what this verse says is that what occurs in the salvation of men and women is that God sets them apart. That's what the term sanctified by God the Father means. He sets them apart in election, having chosen them in Christ before the world began, Ephesians 1.3. And then in time, he calls them by the gospel to the obtaining of salvation through Jesus Christ in the preaching of the gospel. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. 
And in Christ, they are preserved because they are born again. And as born again, new creatures in Christ. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's what? He's a new creature. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 517. And the incorruptible seed of Christ is in him. And he cannot continue a pattern of sin. That is a pattern of sin that would indicate that he never was born again and thus end up perishing. First John chapter two, verse nine, first John three, verse nine. Rather, I'm talking from memory. His seed is in him and he cannot continue sinning because his seed is a perfect seed. The seed being Jesus Christ sown into the heart, according to the word of God becomes the ground upon which the new believer, the born-again believer, cannot ultimately uh, perish in his sins. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And I could give us a litany of verses that underscore the infallibility of God's salvation in the life of God's people on the part of God, preserving them in Jesus Christ. Preservation of the saints is the doctrine that we talk about going all the way back to the Reformation period where God promises to keep those that are his. If you're taking notes, you can take down Jeremiah 32, 39 and 40, a great double boat promise that God changes the heart, renews the heart, and he promises to see to it that his people have one heart, one way, and that they're kept by this one true and living God from ever departing from God again. Great promise, great promise. And then we read over in verse three, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common, that is the very known and prevalent salvation that was preached by the apostles and those that heard them, I came to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, between the declaration of God's preservation of his elect in Jesus, we have now the call to perseverance by maintaining a contention for the faith of the gospel, which is a response on the part of the people of God to the promise that God would preserve us. Let me see if I can make this good right quick for us. When the doctrine of preservation is laid out, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He who hath called you will also keep you. He will preserve you body, soul, and spirit unto the day of Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who hath called you, who also will do it. First Thessalonians chapter five, 23, 24, and many other passages who shall separate us. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing, nothing in heaven, nothing in earth, nothing in hell, nothing in time, nothing in eternity. Because God is the one that justifies, Christ is the one that dies, and the Holy Ghost intercedes. Exceedingly comforting verses, right? I could give you a hundred of them. And yet what, what Jude says is the people who are preserved are the people who also persevere. God gives me grace to believe him every day. And that grace challenges me to study his word and to know who he is in his character, in his calling, in his conduct, in his commissioning of the gospel, in his keeping those who are his by way of the gospel. And so I have to contend. And then he says, here's the reason why you got to contend. 
Verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. He says they are ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and that is a license to live like hell. And then they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude understood that immediately upon the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of the Holy Ghost and the establishing of the local church, the devil runs right up in behind the true servants of God with false servants of God. And Jude uses the language here that they creep in. They creep in. They come in stealthily. They don't come in uh, obviously as to who they are. false professors and false teachers with false doctrine and heresies and, and, and damnable teachings. They don't come in like that. They come in quietly. They creep in. They take a seat. They take a while. They look around. They spy out. They determine whether or not who are the weak ones and vulnerable ones in the church, and they begin to draw men to themselves by their esoteric, self-centered, man-centered teaching which has these three characteristics that Jude talks about. He says, first of all, they turn the grace of God into a license to sin. And this here is where many men and women who have been trapped by the culture of antinomianism or uh, a lawless grace, a kind of scandalous uh, grace where men and women say they are saved, but in fact, nothing in the life really changes. Uh, Brand new Christians, baby Christians, a year or two in the faith, five years in the faith, become exceedingly troubled when they initially had come to Christ and had such a passion and zeal to live right for God and then look around and find all of these unprincipled people who live like hell calling themselves believers. It makes it very hard for them to believe in the doctrine of eternal security and the preservation of the saints when they don't see any real manifestation of grace in the life of these so-called people of God. Well, what Jude says and what Peter says is that these are false professors. And when you read verses 5 all the way through verse 10, you discover that these people are in a horrible historic pattern with men like Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, like the folks in Sodom and Gomorrah, like the uh, people in the days of uh, Moses when he brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Jonas and Jambres is the way Paul puts it in 2 Timothy. These are all pseudo-professing Christians who really don't know God at all. And here is where Jude Wax is really polemic, and I'm going to draw two analogies out of it to share with you and I as to why it's important for you and I to really be able to discern uh what a true professing Christian is and a false professing Christian is and, and why it's important for falling away to take place as it does in every generation, uh, lesser or more, depending on what's going on in the culture. And today you are seen falling away on a number of levels. Listen to this language that I'm going to take a break and we'll come back and take up our discourse. And I'll also take your phone calls. I've got three lines open. One, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Listen to this. Here's what Jude says. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the way of Cain is works religion. Where Abel submitted to the revelation of God in the context of worship, requiring the slaying of a lamb. 
That is the shedding of blood for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Therefore, you cannot come to God without blood. Therefore, you are admitting you need a substitute. Therefore, you are admitting that you are a hellbound sinner. Therefore, you are admitting that without Christ, you cannot be saved. For the shedding of blood all the way back to Abel and Cain pointed to the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. It's what we call the fundamental to the true gospel, the doctrine of substitution. But Cain brought his own good works and God rejected him for it. This is what these men do. This is what these people do. They come in a fair show of the flesh. They look good and they promote their own godliness, their own uh, humility, their own wisdom, their own insights. And men flock to them as gurus and as masters and as paracletes and as intercessors and as bishops and as some holy men, some holy woman and completely lose sight of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what Jude says. He says, they come in the way of Cain and they run greedily after the era of Balaam. Now what is the era of Balaam? Preaching for wealth and prosperity and money and reward. And here's the third one. And they perished in the gainsayings of Korah. What is that? Wanting to usurp authority over the people of God without being given that authority by God. So here are three evidences of the false prophet, false teacher, and false church that we'll unpack more fully after this break. One is they have a religion of works. It's not a religion of grace. Secondly, they are into wealth and prosperity, prominence. Thirdly, they usurp the authority that is established by God, given to true ministers of the gospel, whose whole ministry is evidenced by the ethic of pointing to Jesus and not to self. When we come back, we're going to look at the horrible chaos that Jude uses to describe these kinds of ministries. And then we're going to explain why falling away is necessary in order to affirm the doctrine of eternal security. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. Three lines open, one 888 We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time 542 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're continuing with the reading of Jude because what he does after establishing the preservation of the saints, after establishing the perseverance of the saints and that we contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints, after warning us about unprincipled men and, and persons who come in to corrupt the gospel by licentious living, by denying the authority of Christ, by a, a, a religion of works, by a religion of prosperity, by a denial of the proper authority of Jesus Christ and those to whom he qualifies to be ministers of the gospel, he uses some very interesting language of which I want you to hear. And I'm going to pull out two of the analogies in this collage of analogies that he's using here. And I'm going to make an application to why it's important for you and I to be able to see and comprehend, understand why people fall away. It's very important. He says, these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you. They are clouds. They are clouds without water, carried about with winds. They are trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They are raging waves of the sea, 
foaming out their own shame. They are wandering stars to whom the mist to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. What a collage of imagery spots in your feast. They are spots in your feast. What does he mean by that? Actually, the term there is Pilates, and it means hidden reefs. Uh, what it has to do with a feast or fellowship of the saints simply means the community of the believers where they, they, they fellowship around the person and work of Jesus Christ. But he's using a nautical term, a, a nautical term of ships that are uh, operating and navigating in shallow waters. And there would be rocks that would be close to the surface, but just covered over by enough water to where you can't see them. And your boat or your ship would run into those jagged rocks and it would break a hole or create a hole, damage the ship, sometimes irreparably. I remember a couple of years ago being in Hawaii jet skiing with my wife and we're just going about the water having a great time and I saw what were shadows on the water but I paid no attention to it and all of a sudden I hit a hard bump and it was a uh, a reef it was a rock fortunately nothing happened but that's what is being described here hidden dangers on their part now I got to take another break pay some bills When I come back, we'll continue our analogy on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. We are listening to the warning by Jude about the character and uh, conduct and uh, impact that heresy, false doctrine, false teaching on the part of um, those who creep into the church uh, produce, particularly when uh, professing Christians are undiscerning and are not clear on what the truth is. And we are looking at some very, very derogatory and very inflammatory language. The analogy of spots in your feast I already d- shared with you were really reefs under the water, rocks, jagged rocks that would bust up a ship, a small ship or a large ship, if you weren't careful to navigate and see the spot under the water. Uh, And these individuals feast, as Jude says, among the believers without fear. They are like clouds without water. And that analogy comes from the proverb, he that boasteth in a false gift. He that boasteth in a false gift is like clouds without rain. They sweep by, they promise rain, but they leave nothing. And, and, And so the souls of men and women are famished when you are dominated and, and influenced by very what we would call sensational teaching, but it has no substance whatsoever in terms of any significant, substantial, eternal truth for your soul. And people are feeding on this kind of stuff at large. He goes on to say that they are trees without fruit, twice dead and plucked up by the roots. He's using the analogy here of what our Lord said in Matthew seven. They are, um, that they are known by their fruit. The tree is known by their fruit, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And in this context, they are fruitless trees twice dead and plucked up by the root. What Jesus said in Matthew 15 is that every tree that's not planted by my father will be plucked up. 
And you will have men, you will have ministries, you will have women, you will have ministries that appear to have fruit, like the proverbial fig tree that our Lord approached in in the Gospel of Mark. And it was the time for figs, but there were no figs on it, and Jesus cursed that fig tree. Well, the historic and contextual application was to national, national Israel, but it has application today as well because God does not traffic in hypocrisy. He does not raise up ministries in order to pretend to feed the souls of men. He actually feeds the souls of men by those who are legitimately qualified to teach and to preach. And so false prophets and false teachers, they feed you but they feed you unhealthy food that never, ever brings about spiritual life, spiritual guidance, spiritual health, spiritual strength, and therefore spiritual fruit. Here's the other picture, raging waves of the sea. The depiction of raging waves of the sea is the idea that when you are involved in false ministries, false teachings, false doctrines, false denominations, false churches, they are very unstable very contrary to the principles of the kingdom of God. Romans fourteen seventeen says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. These ministries, because they're so dominated by carnality and the whim of the flesh and, and new revelations every month, every week, and they're tossed to and fro by every carnal doctrine that the enemy actually fosters to them and through them, that people are just unstable. You've seen this for decades, people running here and running there and going here and going there and listening to this person and paying money to hear that person. These are all the signs of an unsound and unfaithful ministry. He goes on to talk about wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. What is he talking about with wandering stars? Literally, he's talking about the falling meteor, the falling star. That star there is a planos, a planates in the Greek, and it means a meteor that that rises and shines and then falls away, peters out after time. And you've had that with so-called great ministers and ministries and prophets and people rising up with revelations and ideas and and just great movements so-called of God. They come and they go. They come and they go. They come and they go. And uh, quite frankly, the two metaphors here in this collage of metaphors that I want to call your attention to are falling stars and hidden reefs. Now, all of them represent what we would call apostate churches, apostate ministries, ministries where they have fallen away from the gospel. But falling stars and hidden reefs are what I want to call your attention to. Give me a falling star any day of the week over a hidden reef. What do I mean by that? I mean, when people fall away like Josh Harris are are, are one of the other guys that have recently uh, uh, come to the surface, the the lead singer in the the group Hillsong, uh, Marty Sampson, and many others a long time ago. I think it's Carlton Pearson. uh, The news was uh, uh, made a big deal about him. But people are falling away all the time. But when the big ones fall away, these are falling stars. 
that that seem to shake up many people in the body of Christ. You take a a, a Josh Harrison, and uh, again, Doctor Moeller has done a great job on a commentary concerning him. And then uh, uh, Marty Sampson, he's been part of that larger Hillsong ministry, and lots of people, particularly the younger millennials, listen to uh, Marty Sampson and Hillsong songs. And you wonder how could these people who seem to be so valiantly used of God just one day fall away. Well, they didn't one day fall away. There was something going on all along the way that we missed. And largely it has to do with one not really knowing what constitutes a healthy, viable, real ministry. It's a little discerning, uh, disconcerting, but you have to know. That's why I say give me a falling star any day of the week. I'm actually thankful that Joshua Harris and Marty Sampson came out and said, hey, I don't believe this thing anymore. Uh, My faith is shipwrecked. Now, what happened? There's a bunch of things we could talk about. What I'm getting at is this. I'd much rather have a Joshua Harris and a Marty Sampson and anyone else who ultimately comes out of the closet. See, because it's really about coming out of the closet. I'd rather you come out of the closet and admit you don't know the Lord. You, you never have really been committed to him. You never really have been committed to his word. You put on a sham. Either you are operating out of the pendulum of legalism, which is not the gospel, or licentiousness, which is not the gospel, or mysticism, which is not the gospel, or paganism, hyper, what, I, what I call sensual Pentecostalism, which is not the gospel. All of it is rooted in a satanic, a satanic uh, facade, in a sa- satanic, if you will, substitute. The problem with all this, ladies and gentlemen, is that whole groups of shallow, unlearned, immature Christians fall for this kind of stuff. And what becomes the impactful outcome for which I'm talking is that it challenges many professing Christians as to whether or not the Bible can be trusted, whether or not God can actually really truly save someone, whether or not salvation ultimately is about being kept or whether or not salvation is about you keeping yourself. That's why we're talking about it. So we're on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm going to actually go to line number one before I take a break and talk with Gitmo. Jim, Gitmo on line number one. Gitmo, what's going on? Jesse, I'm listening to your uh, preservation of the saints message. And uh, to me, you're going all over the map. I'm going to take you back when you first started. And uh, Romans gives a definite decision. process here in Romans 8. We're talking about with predestination, election, into justification, sanctification, and glorification. My polemic discussion with you, and 90% of your audience out there does not realize what a polemic discussion is, but it's a contentious argument that is intended to establish the truth of a specific belief. If you doubt your salvation, then there's a good chance you have no salvation. And I'm 73 years old, and I was saved when I was 14 years old, and I can tell you that I fell away because of disobedience. But when I came back, it was sound and firm. So we have nothing to do with our salvation. We are predestined, and we are called. What I can, what I can do to maintain my salvation is 
obedience. Your your reply, please. Yeah, um, I appreciate you calling, but you are the one that's not clear. So let me just just kind of affirm a few things that you said, and then just kind of clean up a little bit. <laughs> Uh, the point of our discussion. Well, I, have to, I, I have. I have to be brief. Well, hold, I, get you, Mo. Get you, Mo. Now you you stop because you noticed that I gave you time to talk, right? All right, right. I'll I'll wait. Okay, I'll listen. You have to. That's right. I'm not. I'm not waiting to talk. Right. I am listening to you right. now. So, Romans eight is an excellent discourse on predestination, election, justification, sanctification, and eternal glory. You got it. No condemnation, no accusation, no separation. A beautiful text to preach for anyone who really knows the beauty of Romans eight. That truth underscores what we stated in Jude chapter one verse one that God sanctifies us and Christ preserves us. You agree with that with me, and I agree with that with you. We have no argument. You don't. You're not doing anything by way of a polemic with me just for my larger audience you don't have a polemical argument with me because my fundamental concern is not about whether or not I believe in eternal security of course I do if you've listened to me you know that the vast majority of people that that are in the Bay Area and beyond know that I am a grace preacher and I preach the sovereignty of God and I preach eternal election I preach uh, redemption I I preach the totality of Christ accomplished uh, redemption on the cross I am one of those uh, touted Calvinists if you will uh, for folks who like to use labels that's very clear what I am talking about today, if you really wanted to add to the conversation, Jim, was to want to help people who see that the Bible always also teaches about falling away and people do fall away. You use the example of yourself having gotten in trouble and falling away and then uh, then coming back. And, and, and after having come back, you demonstrated a maturity level that allows you to recognize that God was faithful to you. Even though you weren't faithful to him, he was faithful to you. And that too, I agree with. That would be something that I would have easily confirmed as we continued to develop the program. Preservation of the saints does not mean that God's people don't stumble, that they don't fall. But preservation of the saints does mean that God's people don't permanently and eternally fall away from God. Peter failed. The apostles failed. Men do fail. David failed. Samson failed. Men do fail. You fail. I fail. The issue is, do we fall away? And if we are truly God's elect, and if we are really born again, if we're really saved, we won't fall away for two reasons. God preserves us and the believer perseveres. God will discipline us and he will awaken us if we are in the stupor of a carnal uh, uh, trend. And he will awaken us to the reality that we are far, far from home like the prodigal son. You know that account. You are asserting that you went through that prodigal period. But you also will have to admit because you really didn't use grace language. You didn't come back. God brought you back. It was God's grace that brought you back. You would have never came back on your own, Jim, if it wasn't for the fact that God chose you, God called you, God quickened you, God sealed you by the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit, even when his people do sin, is to chastise us and then begin to gradually bring us back. Now, what I would say, and I got to take a break, is when you come back gradually develop a better language around glorifying God for what he did, because you were frequently talking about what you did. And really it's about what God did. When we fall, he picks us up. When we go to the left, 
he brings us back to the right. When our heads are bowed down, he lifts them up. To God be the glory. Thank you for the call. I got to take a break. Way overdue. Going to pay some bills. When we come back, we'll continue this. Three lines open. one 5329 We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 